welcome to the e-commerce fuel podcast the show dedicated to helping high six and seven figure entrepreneurs build amazing online companies and incredible lives i'm your host and fellow e-commerce entrepreneur andrew uderi Hey guys, Andrew here, and welcome back to the e-commerce field podcast. Good to have you with me and good to be back on the microphone uh, after a couple week break. This is uh, a little strange, going to take some getting used to, but yeah, glad to be with you again and hope you're having a wonderful new year. Excited to bring you today's episode with Brad Bernhardt, who's a local, relatively local Montana store owner, not a whole lot of us out here. And his company, Earlywood Designs, is what we're talking about today, specifically what happened that caused him to work pretty much for five straight weeks, seven days a week, from 15 to 16, sometimes 17 hours a day, uh, when his business blew up due to some huge press that he got. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the best case scenario and the worst case scenario, right? I mean, it's such a huge opportunity, but oftentimes when it happens, you're just scrambling to catch up. And uh, that was the situation that Brad found himself in. So we talk about how it happened, how he dealt with just the surge of demand, some of the mistakes that he made, you know, how he was able to bring people in, the all sorts of logistical issues that that, that causes, we get into those. So an interesting discussion, uh, one worth <laughs> listening to. Uh, if it hasn't happened to you yet, there's a chance, a decent chance it'll happen at some point. So hopefully you can take away some, some insights uh, from his experience. So... Let's go ahead and dive into my discussion with Brad. Excited to dig into what happened to you over the holidays and with press and your business just exploding in, in the best possible sense of the term. But what, for a little context, what what's Earlywood? What do you guys do? What do you create? And how did you get into it? Earlywood is my own business where I actually design and handcraft heirloom quality kitchen utensils and cutting boards. And I've been doing it for about, I think I'm going on three and a half, four years full-time now. Did it for a couple years uh, as my second full-time job. Uh, I was a mechanical engineer before this, and I was actually working for a place out in Portland, Oregon, working that 40 hours a week and working early wood, you know, 40 or 50 hours a week on top of that <laughs> till uh, early wood got big enough that I just couldn't handle it anymore. So I had to quit that one and uh, go full-time. And it's beautiful stuff. Like I've got some of your pieces and they're, they're gorgeous. I love them. My mom came over who does a lot of cooking and she, I didn't even mention them to her. They're just on the counter and she came over and said, wow, these are amazing. So if you've got a little plug here for, for Brad's site, not that he needs the additional sales right now, you're probably going to tell me to cut this out afterwards, but really, really cool stuff. Check it out. It's very artistic and beautiful. So what you guys had, of course, you know, we're going to be talking about just your business exploding in, in Christmas during the Christmas season. Everyone's does, but yours particularly so. And, and it was a result of some, some press that you had. What was the press that came out and how did you guys land it? Well, that, it was actually, uh, there was two or three things that kind of all hit, honestly, within a few days of each other. We were in an on-flight magazine for Alaska and Ryzen Airlines. That was probably the smallest of the three. We were in the print version of All Recipes magazine, and that was only print. That was not digital at all. And then we were in the print version and on the front page of the website and on Facebook and Facebook Live and Instagram and everywhere else for Bon Appetit, which is kind of, you know, kind of like the Bible for 
people that love to cook and people that love using my kind of stuff, you know? So it was, it was the perfect kind of a magazine to have my stuff in. And it really, you know, for the first time got me out in front of millions of people that are totally my kind of folks as far as early wood goes, at least, you know, you know, we, we landed that piece of promotion with the, the good old fashioned press release. I know you hear so much about hammer the social and hammer this, do it this way and retarget and all this stuff. But this was just a good old fashioned press release. Uh, I've got a, a girl here that works with me that does a little bit of my writing for me. And we sat down. I said, Hey, could you just put something together? And she put together a, a little two, two to three page, I think email kind of starts with an intro to early wood kind of features where we're from, some of the things we do. Like we plant or we donate a dollar to replant trees in Brazil for every order we get some of that stuff and then highlighted a couple of the uh, couple of strategic products you know some of my own original designs some of my most popular stuff some of my high margin items and uh, the stuff that's the easiest to make you know we made it real easy for them to pick those first <laughs> and luckily every single one of them fell for it <laughs> So we just uh, wrote that thing up and then we sent it out to probably, we, we made a list of about 15 magazines and whatnot, and we just sent it out in an email. And uh, that was about six months before Christmas hit, you know, this is in probably June, and just started getting replies. And we got some replies from some of the bigger ones immediately, like Bon Appetit and actually Cooking Light, which that one kind of fell through, but we could touch on that in a second. And once we started getting some of those, we actually just kind of started turning some down, you know, because everyone, everyone seemed to be interested. Like it wasn't all that tough. I mean, it just kind of made me realize that, you know, these guys, their job is to make good content for their readers. And, you know, if you, if you serve it to them on a silver platter with a, a nice description and some good pictures and, you know, make it real easy for them, they will just jump all over it. Well, I think what you had going for you too, though, is because is those those editors, those magazines get just inundated with, with stuff is like I mentioned, your stuff is gorgeous. It's really well done. I'm not saying that to flatter you. I'm saying that because I think if you've got, if you have either a compelling story or a really interesting, unique product, which yours is, that's 90% of the battle, right? And my products don't always, I mean, they don't, a lot of my most popular stuff, you know, they're original designs and you don't, you just don't see them everywhere. And, you know, early has got a good story. You know, we live in tiny little town with 2000 people at the base of the mountains in Montana, you know, <laughs> you know, to us, that seems kind of normal, but to a lot of people, that's, that's a little bit out there, you know? So why, why turn down press though? I mean, like, even if that surprises me, why would you turn down any, was it, were you worried about just at Christmas coming and having just being able to smoke everything else out or, or what, what was the rationale there? Well, the rationale was to make sure we didn't just to make sure we could keep up. And as we'll get to here in a minute, we turned down press <laughs> as much as we could and turned down orders along the way for various reasons. And we still did not keep up. <laughs> why, why not say, hey, can you run it like, oh, I'm sorry, maybe don't run it between you know November and January, but could you run it in March? Did you try something like that? Well, those guys are definitely on the short list of people I'm going to be in touch with after the holidays and you know, working into maybe not next Christmas. I've, I've realized you know, the importance of leveling the sales load here. And although I'll probably get the most bang for my buck out of a piece of marketing that drops right at the holidays, I'm going to shoot for getting some, you know, in the first three quarters of the year, just so it's, uh, I'm not making stuff, making, actually making product in January that I don't sell until December, you know. When you pitched 
the, the press release to people, was there a, do most magazines have a kind of a pitch line? Did you just figure out who the editor was? Who did you address it to? And how did you find those addresses? You know, a little bit of both. I actually handed that job off to the girl that helps me with some of my writing. And um, she's actually, out of a, just a small town coincidence, she's a food writer. So she personally knows the names of the editors of some of these magazines and whatnot. And there was one or two where they had a, uh, a specific email for, you know, press ideas. But for the most part, we just shot for the top. And if we could get the editor's personal email, we went for it. And in a lot of cases, that's who actually replied. So Brad, I'm guessing the course of this, you connect with these magazines, you talk about, you know, the article and they give you a sense of when it's going to be published. And so, you know, you've got some press coming out and some fairly large press given the, you know, the reputation of this magazine. How do you, how do you approach trying to figure out how to prepare for this? Obviously you might need some more staff, but the biggest thing is inventory. You make all your stuff. And so figuring out how to have inventory on hand on one side, you don't want to over, you know, buy a bunch of stuff that it takes a year and a half to clear out. But the only thing worse than that is having, you know, not being able to keep up. So how did you even approach trying to guess how much to create for when the press hit? I uh, reached out to a number of people for their opinions. First of all, I guess, threw out a post on the e-commerce fuel forum. And, you know, I said, I got some major press coming up, but it's print. And what kind of experience do people have with that? And it's kind of like looking at reviews online <laughs> for a product. You know, there's people that hate them, or people that hate every product, and there's people that love every product. So this was like, some people were like, ah, press is played out, <laughs> you know, or uh, print press is played out. It's not going to do you any good. And then uh, other people are like, this, this could be a business changer for you, you know? And so I got, I got answers all over the place. So I didn't really know what to do. You know, I didn't know what to expect, but so I expected that it was going to be better than I thought it was going to be. That's just kind of what I gave myself because I'd much rather have too much product than not enough product, especially when, I do have to make it all or me and my, me and my team has to make it all, you know? So I was, you know, I think I was, I really didn't know what to think. And I think in my head, I was like, eh, you know, from Bon Appetit, I might get $40,000 worth of orders, you know, and from Cooking Light, I might get 40 grand worth of orders. Like I mentioned earlier, we landed the Bon Appetit, but not the Cooking Light. And uh, the, thank goodness we didn't because Bon Appetit ended up being way more than that. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so maybe we'll talk about what happened. So maybe like we can talk about just, just from an order perspective, what was, what's an average, you know, an average Christmas for you season, average December, and how many orders did you get this December? My business is really cyclical. You know, I mean, my, my stuff is lots of the stuff is in the $30 price point. It's really great for gifts. So, you know, I always do, I'd say on a typical year, I do about as much, say, as much in sales in November and December as I do the other 10 months of the year. That, that's a typical year. So it's very cyclical like that. This year, I was just checking out my analytics. There was a three day period where over the course of three days, we did more than the first 10 months of the year. In that two-month period at the end of the year, I think we were up about 8x what we do in a normal November and December. So 8x as a result of the, the press increase your business, 8x almost, you know, 8x from, from last year. Definitely. Okay. So in a, a pretty enormous jump, and what, I mean, what kind of, all sorts of problems ensued. <laughs> <laughs> what, maybe we can talk about the first from a stock issue. How, how did you keep... I mean, I'm guessing you weren't planning for 8x, as you mentioned. So what kind of implications did this have on, on your inventory and, and trying to keep it in stock? Like what kind of problems did that cause? And how do you deal with them? 
Yeah, pretty much if you can think of it, it happened. You know, we had we were sitting there pretty good, and uh, I had I was I had about four times my normal inventory. You know, in early November, and I was just ready to start selling. You know, I thought I was doing really well. Once the Bon Appetit, I think once they put it right on their homepage, I went through all of that in two days. So then we had, you know, from the middle of November through two days before Christmas that we basically were out of stock and that's the biggest month of the year. I just, so we had a stock problem, which quickly created a employee problem, (laughs) a labor problem. And so I was out at the shop every day myself, seven days a week for about 12 or 14 hours a day. Uh, I have one full-time employee out there and two part-timers. They were all there, you know, at least 10 hours a day. And I was literally calling everyone I know. Did I call you? Did I call you to come down? You would you call to chat about kind of some what you should do on pricing and some things, but oh, uh, that's right, yeah. And I totally would have had you come down and sand some stuff if you had wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was calling everybody I knew, and uh, you know, we're in a town of two thousand people. There's there's people here, but everybody's got jobs, you know. Yeah. I mean, I would literally call fifteen people at night, and I'd show up at the shop the next day, and I would have rallied like two of them, you know. And uh, so we were just. Every night, calling everybody we could think of out to the shop. And then my wife stepped in and took over the shipping. And, you know, because we were shipping about 150 orders every day. And that's a lot more than we normally do. I think last year we maxed out at about 100 on a couple days. And this this year it was just 150 every day. She was pulling all of her friends in to help with the shipping and making certain products at the house. And, you know, filling oils and lasering my logo into the product and uh, oiling and drying and all kinds of stuff, you know? So I think all said and done, we had about 25 to 30 friends pitch in in one way or another over the month. And in terms of your stock, what did you do? I mean, you said you ran out of stock. Were you able to, with all of this additional manpower, were you able to to keep up for the most part or did you start falling further and further behind? Because I imagine, I mean, it's, it's, you ship out I mean, cranking through, even if you're cranking out products at an incredible clip, you you just you just got them pouring in the shopping cart at the other end. Yeah. Usually when I'm out at the shop with like five other guys and we're really cranking out the product, it I love the feeling. But it was one of the most disheartening feelings I've ever had when I'm out at the shop and there's five guys with me. So there's six of us just going to town on making stuff. You know, I get out there about nine after uh, after sending emails and whatnot in the morning. And about 1030, my wife texts and says, we're out of everything from the day before, you know, so we're bringing home more product than we've ever brought home every single day. And she's got it all shipped by 10 o'clock the next day, you know, so we were the shipping was not limiting. The manufacturing was definitely the limiting factor. Why Why not just jack up the prices? I mean, it seems like a great opportunity to jack up prices on your products or your shipping, not only to, because it does two things, right? It gives you more margin on every single order and it also slows down the volume at a time when you can't keep up. So why, why not do that? I didn't want to jack the prices to a temporary level and then drop them again. Maybe somebody else would have done that, but uh, it just didn't seem right to me to do that. You know, my website is now, well, my website and Amazon sort of are the only places you can get my stuff. So, you know, and I'm the only one that sells them. So I've got a lot of existing customers and I just wanted to keep that consistent. I didn't want to, you know, raise a $29 product to 49 just because I could sell a few and then drop it back to 29 later. 
I just didn't quite feel right about it. And may, maybe that maybe wasn't that wasn't the right decision, but I did I did raise prices about ten percent on at least on the most popular products that I was selling a ton of, the ones that were featured. And then I raised I added a couple bucks to shipping of every package. We were making at least another five bucks on every single order, but uh, which helped. But honestly, didn't even slow down orders in the slightest. It didn't seem like. I mean, I've never raised prices and had someone notice. <laughs> period, and especially not right before Christmas. You know, so I may have undershot that for sure. What do you do in a situation like this? I mean, it, it's it's tricky anytime, but especially at Christmas time, where you're in a situation where people are very time sensitive to begin with given the holiday and they want their product because if they don't get their, their kitchen utensils, their entire Christmas is going to be ruined. You're going to ruin their Christmas and you're going to hear about it, right? Like, so you have that to deal with. And then at the same time, your inventory is just disappearing. So how did you deal with that? And what did you deal? What did you do when people came to the site and you didn't have something in stock? Like, cause there's a couple different approaches you could take. You could take their order and follow to get the sale, right? Because you don't want to lose the sale. Take the sale and and be able to follow up immediately and say, I'm sorry, this is back ordered, which is a worse experience for the customer, but that's a lot of revenue to give up in a situation where you're you have a small window of press. Or on the flip side, you could say, you know, this is this is out of stock, but then you potentially might lose the, that potential revenue when the floods come. And so how did you deal with all that? Because there's a lot of different moving parts there. There definitely are, and there's a lot of different ways you can do it. The first option you mentioned to list them as in stock, knowing that they're not, and then immediately send the customer an email. I didn't like the sound of that just because I didn't have the manpower to deal with those emails, you know, because I know, you know, you just know that someone's going to place that order thinking it's in stock, immediately get their automated email. And then the next thing they do is, is go to info at Earlywood Designs and they email me with a specific question on when it's going to be back in stock. And I just, I just felt like, I mean, at that time when we finally made a decision on how to deal with these orders we didn't want or we couldn't handle, rather, we were about almost a thousand orders behind. Like I mentioned, we were shipping about 150 a day because that's all we could make. And, uh, you know, so if somebody placed an order, even if we told them, you know, we'll ship it as soon as we can, the earliest was going to be, you know, 10 days in the future. And I just, I didn't want to have every single order that came in from that point on be late. So instead, we decided to actually put the products as out of stock. So you actually couldn't order the product, which goes against what you were saying, which is, you know, get the sale. But instead of getting the sale, I got the email address, which is almost as good in my opinion. Now, when you say you got the email address, did you have a, an app on there that said this is out of stock, but enter your email address to be informed when it comes That's back in exact, stock. Exactly okay. what I did. And that was, I think it's called back in stock, I think is the name of the app. I got it off the Shopify store late one night. And we put that up, started tracking inventory on the products, set a bunch to out of stock. So if you showed up, you weren't going, going to get in air quotes, tricked into placing the order, even though we didn't have it. And it wasn't going to tell you that it's going to be not going to ship for a week and a half, which was going to be after Christmas. So that person could potentially leave without interacting anymore at all with the site. So we put them out of stock and use back in stock that app. So somebody puts in their email and say, I want to be, I want to get an email as soon as that product is back in. So we got their email through that. And that app allows you to put a little checkbox that says, Hey, join our email list while you're at it. And about the eight days we had everything out of stock, we doubled the size of our email list. So it wasn't all that bad. And, you know, cause my sales throughout any given year, we use Klaviyo for email marketing and, and it's, 
maybe not quite half, but it's dang near half of our sales come through directly through emails. You're, one thing I remember when, when we met and I started learning about your business was you have an engineering background. You went to school for engineering and you're very systems oriented. And, and I loved how the way you set up your, your production was always thinking with scalability in mind. Is this a process that I can replicate? Is this, is this a production method that I can bring someone in and be able to get them up to speed quickly making my product? Is that something that, that you noticed just paid off in spades when you were bringing in the bartender at your local pub and, and being like, hey man, what's your name again? Okay, great. I need <laughs> you to make this, this super high-end you know, cooking utensil for me. Did, did, it, did your systems work how you envisioned when you built them two years ago? They did but they had their limitations. The individual processes that I put together are very efficient, number one. And number two, they're repeatable. So the products coming out, the you know the spatula, let's say, or the, the saute, they come out the same every time, no matter who does it, because the jigs and the, all the systems I've got take care of that. So that made it really easy to get you know the bartender and bring them in and say, all right, this is these two things is what I need you to do. Do that a thousand times. You know, and that that's no fun for anybody, but it's possible and you can crank out a ton of product that way. So the individual processes themselves, yeah, they're efficient, but not if you don't have enough guys to do it or girls to do it and uh, not if you don't have enough space and time. So I'm still sharing a shop space with a guy who's a custom furniture builder and he has been for about 30 years and I share half of or I rent half his shop and we share the space. I couldn't exactly tell him to go on vacation for a month while I just crushed it in the shop for 14 hours a day, you know? I mean, he had to get on the table saw. He had to use clamps. He had to do some of this stuff. And although he took it a real easy December and really did me a huge favor on that on that front, we still kind of banged up against that, you know? And it was just, you know, the jigs are uh, in the way I've got the processes set up. They're great for manufacturing, but this was, and they can handle a jump in production, but not this big. I mean, we would have needed more space and twice, you know, we would have had to double all the tools. So what is, I mean, looking forward, obviously you're still in the afterglow of some of those, uh, of, of press. Well, actually, that's a, <laughs> let me, let me, that's a good question. What, how uh, lo- much of a duration has this had in terms of the, the spike in your business? Is it tapered way off now that we're in, you know, the new year or is it, uh, is it still going really strong? It's still going quite strong. Like I said, we put certain products out of stock and I think probably about a third, if not a little bit more of our entire website is still marked as out of stock because we haven't been able to make the product to put them back in stock. So we're still gaining emails there. So that's good. But, you know, say even with all that stuff out of stock, sales are, we're probably, you know, it's a lower number, but we're probably 10x, you know, since Christmas over what we were last year. That's amazing. What Which is great. <laughs> what does it make you think about? I mean, looking forward, obviously you probably won't, you know, you're not, not going to maintain those December levels and things will plateau as the press kind of gets further and further away. But I'm guessing it sounds like it's it's it was big enough where it's going to take your business to to a, kind of an, another level. And what what have you learned from this experience that you're going to work into your business long term? What long term changes are you going to make as a result of of just such a crazy December? Well, one thing I need a new space, I need a bigger shop. I need I don't I, I can't have that limit me. You know, access to tools and things like that. But the the thing that it pointed out the most was 
you know, I've always been a big fan of the term work on your business, not for your business. And I just got slapped in the face all December long, realizing that, hey, I'm working for my business big time right now. You know, I, I really need to concentrate on SLPs and those standard operating procedures. That's what that stands for, right? <laughs> a lot of SLPs document my pr uh, processes and I just need to really work on obsoleting myself way more than I already am because there's, you know, for the whole month I got stuck doing, I did nothing but the stuff that only I can do. And there's still too many things that only I can do out at the manufacturing site. And then, I mean, I guess a lot of people could do customer service. I just haven't taken the time to give somebody the training on it and pass the buck. So I really need to step back and make myself a little less involved. Guy, yeah, Brad, it's it's cool hearing about this, and I I know it's it was a little bit of a masochistic December for you, and you're probably glad to be out of it. But congratulations on a landmark Christmas season and, and moving so much product. It's cool cool to see, even though I'm sure it was painful at times. And before we wrap up completely, would love to do a lightning round with you for your game. Just a couple quick questions. They can be super fast answers, five to ten seconds, but just kind of fun to see people's different perspectives on things. So, for you, how much money is enough? What would be your number? I would say the number is whatever it takes to not run out because <laughs> money is only a big deal when you don't have it. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm going to pin you down a little bit harder. Let's say you had to have you had X amount of money in the bank and not that you'd never work again, but uh, if you had it in there, you'd feel comfortable. If you couldn't work again, you'd be okay. If I couldn't work again, I want to say 2 million. 2 million. Nice. Yeah. How many hours per week do you work right now? I would say, not including the last couple of months, about 60, let's say. 60. How many hours were you working in December, just out of curiosity? I was working 14 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week. So I oh was, my gosh. You know, whatever that is, 100, 110 hours a week. And, and did not take a day off for five or six weeks straight. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, I'm, I'm, I took a nap right before this. I'm still recovering, man. <laughs> I just feel like I want to sleep all the time. Yeah, you should give out your address so people will just inundate you with five-hour energy drinks. Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, if there was one thing that was going to bring upon the fall of civilization in the next 25 years, what would it be? I think it's either going to be uh, artificial intelligence or it's going to be a virus. Or it's going to be a meteor, but I don't think any of those are overly likely. <laughs> <laughs> if if you had to leave your current job, you had to leave Earlywood. You can't work for Earlywood anymore. You can't even be an entrepreneur. You have to work for a company. But you can pick the company in the role that you get to work for. Who would it be? Specific company? I'm not 100% sure, but I would have to be a uh, helicopter skiing guide up in northern Canada somewhere. <laughs> Good answer. I like that one. Definitely do that. What do you spend most of your discretionary money on? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I guess the answer to that is what discretionary income. Uh, <laughs> I've, uh, you know, my wife and I are still, you know, we're still trying to pay off some debt and some school debt and things like that. So we're keeping our discretionary income pretty tight. You know, you know, it's like I bought some sweet wool socks the other day. I don't know. And that, I was really excited about that. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love it. Okay, and final question. Assuming you could live anywhere in the world and cat, uh, cost, practicality, and your current community weren't an issue, uh, your whole family would be transplanted. You wouldn't have to pay for your rent. So solely about the location, where would you live? I'm going with Southern Island in New Zealand. Nice, nice. Yeah, lots of skiing, lots of fishing, lots of surfing. Nice people. I think I could handle that for a while. 
Brad, love hearing the story again. Congrats on the on a crazy, crazy December. And like I mentioned at the top, if you're into cooking at all or just love looking at, at beautiful, beautifully designed products, Earlywood Designs is the name of of the website, earlywooddesigns.com. Design or designs? Uh, designs, plural. Designs, plural. Thank you. Earlywooddesigns.com. Go check them out. Let's add to Brad's problem here of production <laughs> collectively. Brad, hey, thanks so much for coming on and looking forward to seeing you again soon, man. You betcha, Andrew. Thanks a lot. Want to connect with and learn from other proven e-commerce entrepreneurs? Join us in the e-commerce fuel private community. It's our tight-knit, vetted group for store owners with at least a quarter million dollars in annual sales. You can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again next time.